I was expecting you. Today, tomorrow, yesterday. It was only a matter of time. Welcome to John Adams High, where you are gonna die, that's right. Hey, little bro, life's tough, get a helmet. They just shot the neighbor! Sean, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but you're kind of a babe. The Secret of Life by Plays with Squirrels. Underpants. Mr. Feeney? Mr. Feeney! I love the Feeney call. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Feeney podcast here with my co-host Jacqueline. I am Josh, and we are happy to be doing another episode of this wonderful podcast Jacqueline, how is everything on your neck of the woods? Everything's wonderful. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Maryland, and it's so nice to be cooped up inside recording this podcast instead of sitting in the sun. All right. You know, it takes like an hour and then you can go enjoy the sun. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. If you remember the last time we were at Christmas, the Matthews had presents, everyone, the end of the episode was getting along. And just one note about a previous episode I've got before we dive into this next episode. If you remember from the Jim Abbott episode, Corey's dad, Alan, had sent Jim somewhere in the ballpark of 60 to 70 telegrams trying to get him to show up. Yes, I remember. And we had talked about like neither of us really sending or receiving telegrams because it's kind of an outdated technology. But my dad texted me and he sent me a picture of a telegram that he had from the 70s that was sent to him from one of his exes. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see what it looked like. And, you know, in the 70s, like the computers, they literally like type it up on whatever they were using and like paste it onto another card with some other information on it. It was wild. Wow. But apparently they were used a lot. If you like couldn't make to a wedding, you would send a telegram and then somebody would like read all of the telegrams from people who couldn't be there. That sounds horrible. So maybe you can have everyone who is invited to your wedding just send telegrams and then instead of a like real ceremony, we can just read what everyone wrote. Well, they could also just send me emails, texts, you know, many other free forms of communication. Telegram seems unnecessary. Yeah. But I like where your head is at. Thank you for the suggestion. Yeah, I suppose that's a, a good point. All right. Anyway, anything else to add from any of our previous 10 episodes before we dive into number 11? I do have two quick notes from last week when I was ranking all the episodes in my order of uh, least to most favorite to recap our, our first 10 episodes. I can't believe I didn't mention this, but remember how I was telling you a couple weeks ago, I bought the Danielle Fischel and the Bill Daniels memoirs on Amazon. I do remember that. How's that going? I decided to start with Danielle Fischel's first. I said I was going to maybe start with the Feeny one because our podcast is Feeny, but something about reading a perky 30-something woman's book just appealed to me a little bit more than reading a 70-something-year-old man's book. So I did start with uh, with Danielle Fischel's. And in like the first chapter, she's talking about how she got the role of Topanga. And she says, when people ask her what her favorite episode of Boy Meets World was, she always says, Corey's Alternative Friends. So that's her favorite episode ever. And it's her first episode 
And I can't believe I forgot to mention it last week when I was talking about that episode because that was my number one pick as well. That was your number one. She also picked that number one out of like a hundred plus episodes and you picked it out of 10. But that's that's amazing. That's what she said was number one. Right. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, I'm not going to like read you the entire chapter of the book, but apparently she was not the first hire for Topanga and she was really struggling and working a lot with the directors and like they were giving her a lot of notes and then she like finally nailed it and because she was worried she was going to get fired the whole time like the first girl did. So it was a really interesting read. So, so far so good with uh, Danielle Fischel's book. I, the whole thing is not going to be about Boy Meets World, but I'm only like a chapter in and I've already got some sweet Boy Meets World tidbits. Awesome. Well, keep us posted on that. We'll do a check in here at the beginning of the next few episodes just to see how that's going and any fun facts that may drop. But yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I also will mention that after last episode, I'm officially banned from using the word obtuse for at least the next three episodes because I, uh, I overused it. You did. There are a couple of uses. Uh, I wanted to leave it in there for punctuation of all of those moments and you know it's it was the appropriate word to use but there are just just some synonyms maybe that uh we can build in there as well in my defense they were acting like a bunch of obtuse mother and that was just the only word that i could think of yeah it's all good but noted thank (laughs) you for acknowledging that and uh we'll keep rolling thank you All right, so hit us with the summary of episode 11. All right, season one, episode 11, entitled The Father-Son Game, originally aired December 17th, 1993, directed by David Trainer, who is, again, director of the last two episodes. Corey and Eric lie to get out of a father-son baseball game. I will just expand on that by saying Corey and Eric lie to get out of a father-son baseball game, then feel really guilty for being jerks to their dad. That's pretty much it. And then they spend the rest of the episode trying to make it up to him in uh, stupid ways instead of just apologizing and owning up to the fact that they acted like jerks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind here is that the name of this episode doesn't seem to be a play on words of anything. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's really just a throwaway. They didn't even try to make it punny. No, they didn't. And then you said that aired December 17th, which is still before Christmas. We've already had our Christmas episode, though. And then, you know, so theoretically, it is like maybe just after Christmas in this world. And then this is the best time to be having a softball game in Philadelphia. Right. So I was thinking the same thing. Like, why would they do a softball game episode for December? And then I was thinking, why didn't they just swap this and play this episode last week and the Christmas episode this week a little closer to Christmas? But I guess TGIF was doing their big Christmas special last week. So... They probably didn't have a choice. Yeah. But yeah, who schedules a baseball game for the middle of December in Pennsylvania? Ludicrous. It's very possible this episode was like meant to air earlier or they shot it with the intentions of airing it earlier. You get Leonard Spinelli, who's introduced in one of the early episodes. It could be possible that this one was supposed to be like right after that one. And then it just ended up getting bumped based on the schedule and everything. So 
noted that. Let's just take this episode chronologically. Everything kind of weaves its way together here. Um, and I don't even know if there's really a clear A or B plot. So There really isn't. And there's really no B plot. There's a couple of antics of other people, but it is mostly just, there's barely even any Feeny in this episode. Yeah, not a lot of Feeny. It's a very Corey, Sean heavy episode, but we open with Morgan. It is sometime early Friday morning. Morgan, as she mentions many times, has been up since six o'clock and has picked out all of the marshmallows and is eating solely a bowl of marshmallows instead of uh, a bowl of cereal for breakfast. Yeah, and then Corey goes and pours his bowl, and there's no marshmallows in it. And instead of realizing that his sister is sitting next to him eating all the marshmallows, he goes on for like two minutes about how the cereal sucks, and where's all the marshmallows, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, look to your right, pal. Morgan's sitting there with a mountain of marshmallows in her bowl. Exactly. I spent way too long trying to figure out what brand and type and name of cereal it was, but it was too fuzzy from the screen grab that I had and uh, I couldn't I couldn't match it to anything I found on the internet. It was just fake. They just made it up. We were supposed to think it was Lucky Charms, sure. I guess. Yeah. So everyone's down and once we kind of get Morgan out of the way, she goes back upstairs to continue on her sugar rush before the collapse. Then Alan comes on down and he pulls his softball glove out of the oven and, and his swooning over the nice deep pockets that it has yeah he i guess woke up early to like preheat the oven and put his baseball mitt in there that could have ended terribly that checks out because amy comes down and just pours herself a hot cup of coffee and clearly this is the first time she had been walking down the stairs so i think it's definitely believable alan was up he put the glove in the oven at a low Temperature, made some coffee, went back upstairs, shower change, and here we are. What do you think is the ideal temperature for baking a baseball glove? Well, low and slow, as Alan says, I would say, (laughs) we've done this before. You get a new baseball glove, it's very stiff, and you have to break it in because you can't really use it until you break it in. So there are lots of different preferred methods here. The oven method is one I've heard. I've also heard the under the mattress method. Some people the purists just go out there and throw a million times until the glove kind of breaks in itself. The gloveolium is a real thing. It's like an oil that helps kind of clean and soften the leather of the glove. So I would say 200 to 225 degrees for a couple hours. This is like when you buy a new pair of dance shoes or ballet slippers and They're all shiny and new and you need to break them in. So you do all kinds of terrible things to them to break them in before you can really dance in them. Yeah, that's exactly the same as the glove. We learned that there's a father-son softball game. It's an annual event. And this year, the grocery store that Alan works at will be playing against the Unicorn Rainbow Bookstore. Did you know that there is a unicorn bookshop on the Eastern Shore? I did not. The Eastern Shore of Maryland? The Eastern Shore of Maryland, yes. As soon as they said Unicorn Rainbow Bookstore, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds so familiar. And because Arthur's mom lives on the Eastern Shore in the Salisbury area, every time we drive out there, we drive past this Unicorn Bookshop. And so I Googled it and I was like, yes, Unicorn Bookshop. That's funny. Clearly the writers were just going for like the most you know, weird out there kind of like hippy dippy bookstore name because they right. jokes about all the people that work at the bookstore. 
throughout the episode. Uh, and it is not surprising to learn later on that Topanga's dad happens to work at the bookstore. Yeah, they're doing their whole like making these people out to be woo-woo, zen, new age lunatics when they just want to have some books, man. Just want to do some reading, but Alan wants to crush them in softball and he is super jacked up about this game. He's been psyched. looking forward to it. Yeah, he he can't wait. Did you notice when Eric first entered the scene how he was doing his like weather forecast thing? Yeah, and then they kept the weather forecast metaphor going to tie into everything else there, yeah. Yeah, so he was like, Ah, uh, good morning. Let me give you a weekend weather update. Whether or not I have a date with Cindy this weekend depends on how partly cool I am in school today. There is a definite Vicky front moving in this Saturday and temperatures are expected to rise. So he's like doing this dating thing with the weather, but it made me think there's an episode probably next season where Eric wants to drop out of school and become a weatherman. And that's like his dream. So it just made me laugh that like, yeah, it's going to come back into play. Yeah, we'll put a little pin in that and save it for that episode. You're exactly right. That is a good catch. He's a natural. Maybe the writers heard him just like nail this weatherman voice and they were like, we have to write this into the show. That could be it. Yeah, but we do get a few few different names thrown out. Vicky is the one where he's going to hopefully have a new date. So we've got a new girl on the Eric front this episode, even though we don't see her and he, we don't know if he actually goes on the date or not. But all right. So we cut to the classroom and now we kind of get this weird kind of side plot that intertwines at the end. They're saying the Pledge of Allegiance and Topanga is refusing to stand for it. And Corey is wearing a long sleeve hoodie under a t-shirt under another hoodie with the sleeves cut off. <laughs> yeah, great look. Uh, yeah, Topanga does not stand up or recite the pledge. And it is revealed that they're going to have a debate about the pledge versus social protest. And it's been a whole setup. Feeney actually told Topanga not to stand for it. And Minkus has a really funny line. You've been set up, bud. <laughs> Yeah, so Feeney is like, Miss Lawrence, you didn't stand up for the pledge. And Corey's like, this is going to be good, thinking she's about to get in trouble. And then Mr. Feeney's like, what was that, Corey? And traps him into now standing up in front of the whole class and debating this issue, a debate for which Topanga is now prepared because she knew it was coming because she was part of the setup. But Corey has no preparation, and that doesn't seem fair to me. Not fair. He really did get set up here, but it makes for a little funny scene. And then Corey starts to go off on his little tangent while Sean starts humming the battle hymn of the Republic in the background. Yeah. Did Corey's speech sound exactly like a Donald Trump speech to you? He was literally saying nothing, but he was like, this debate is such a great debate. It's the most important debate <laughs> And then the bell rings and he's out of there. But I was like, oh my God, this is exactly like a Donald Trump speech. Yeah, it's not great, which definitely checks out for both of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm i a little confused about the timing of saying the pledge because... It's, it's whack. Yeah, like they say the pledge, which generally is something that is done first thing in the morning. Now, it's social studies class. Maybe like they only say the pledge during social studies. Whatever's happening, three minutes after they say it, the bell rings and everyone's out of there. So that was a little confusing on the timeline. I believe in middle school, we used to say the pledge in homeroom. Yeah, morning announcement. 
before the day even got started and then you were off to class. So like, I don't know why they're saying the pledge right in the middle of their social studies class. And then Feeney kicks off this whole debate right before class is going to end. It seems very suspect. It does. Just a few notes here. The pledge was written in August of 1892 by Francis Bellamy, a socialist minister. And there are some slight changes that have happened to it over the years. It used to be my flag. Now it's the flag. And uh, the under God was added in 1954 by President Eisenhower. Interesting. Yeah. Francis Bellamy's daughter strongly objected to those words being added, but it was in response to the communist threat during the 50s. I did not know that. The the debate about the pledge, I won't take too much time here, but it is a debate that comes up every once in a while on the news because somebody refuses to stand or refuses to say it. And legally, you debate whatever side you, you feel is appropriate, but legally, students in school do not have to say the pledge. I was always told that they had to stand. You could you could force a student to stand for the pledge. But you couldn't force them to say the actual words. No, that's, yeah, that's not the case. They don't even have to stand. Apparently, according to the Boy Meets World here, you don't need to stand or say it uh, because it is a free speech issue. Free speech is a little bit limited in school settings. You don't get the full rights that you would in all other places. But for this purpose, you are able to protest. Yeah, and a lot of states even have laws uh, specifically saying that students do not have to recite the pledge, nor do they have to stand for it. But not not every state has that on the books. It's just sort of like, it might have been a Supreme Court case. If not, it's just been debated in courts, and that's pretty much the general consensus. It was a Supreme Court case, Jacqueline. You're exactly right. It was the West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett that happened in 1943, and the Supreme Court held that the free speech clause does protect students from being forced to salute the flag or say the pledge. Nice. Yeah, so exactly right. All right, let's move on from the pledge. We jump from the classroom into the cafeteria, and some suspicious activities happening here. Minkus leaves his tray to go get an apple. He has to know that leaving his tray and his hamburger at the table with Sean and Corey is going to lead to some hijinks, right? Yeah, it wasn't a great idea, but it does work out for Minkus in the end. So Corey is sitting there lamenting about this father-son softball game. And his main objection seems to be that he just wants his Saturday to himself to watch X-Men and play video games and not have to be dragged to this thing with his dad. So he's just talking and Sean is not listening to him at all. He's just staring at Minkus's hamburger, thinking of ways to destroy it and ruin Minkus's day. So he settles on dumping an entire salt shaker on it and then covering it in pudding and then putting the bun back on. Yeah. I don't know where these salt and pepper shakers came from. My guess is they came from, they needed them as a prop for this scene. And so they were magically on the table and we probably won't see them on cafeteria tables again, but Sean thinks he's going to pull a hilarious prank here. Corey, like you said, mentions the X-Men, which was a show that started in the fall of 1992. So again, a very topical show that Corey probably would be watching at this time. Did you watch the X-Men cartoon? I never, I never watched it. I did not. That's not one that resonated with me either. I really only got into X-Men, I think, once like the newer movies came out. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I still have never seen an X-Man, but that's okay. Oh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is worth a watch. I hear he's got a Hugh Jackman. Oh. Jackman. It's not funny. I just cannot. Anytime I hear his name, I just need to say that. I don't know what it means, and I apologize. Um, so anyway, Sean has just defiled Minkus's hamburger, which is a very uncool thing to do. Like, it's very much not okay to mess with someone else's food. I think that's very messed up. I think I feel as strongly about that as you felt about making fun of Santa's heart attack in the last episode. Yeah, that's interesting. It didn't register for me that it's not like he put anything on there that was dangerous. But yeah, I guess I guess it's it's pretty screwed up. It's not okay to ever mess with someone's food. You just don't know. Uh, whatever. I'm not going to get on a soapbox about it. But um, Minkus comes back and Sean's like, it's like in Dumb and Dumber when they're like, eat your burger and we'll tell you. And they're like laughing. So Sean's like, oh, why don't you go eat your burger, Minkus? And Minkus is like, did you do something to my burger? And Sean's like, no, no, no. So Minkus does the old princess bride switcheroo yeah, exactly. on him. <laughs> He's like, look over there. And he pretends to switch them. And then Sean actually switches them. So Sean ends up with the disgusting salt and pudding burger. Yeah, this is straight out of Princess Bride. That's exactly what I thought too, which came out in 87. And I would bet that Minkus had probably seen it. Also, we get a Fred Savage tie-in because he's a little kid from Princess Bride. Yes, he is. Big brother. <laughs> yeah, Corey's brother in real life, Fred Savage, who will go on to direct some of these episodes and who stars in an episode of Law & Order SVU that I just watched last night, actually. And he is a rapist and murderer who represents himself in court. Dude, I don't think I've seen that one. SVU? Yeah, the end of season. I think we're, we're watching through them in order. I think it's the end of season four. Oh, I got to watch that. I, I watch that show so much that whenever I find an episode that I haven't seen, I get very excited. Yeah, we've been going through. And then anytime one of us has seen the episode in the last like five years, we'll just skip it. Mm. But. We've been watching a lot, and that one's a good one, so definitely check it out. Okay, I will. I will do that. So Sean is like, oh, Minkus, why does everyone think he's so much smarter than us? Punctuated by him biting into the salt and pudding burger, and then Corey's like, he is smarter than us, isn't he? And Sean's like gagging on the burger, serves him right. Yeah, he got what he deserved, bro. But before this happens, there is a funny moment where Sean finally realizes that Corey is talking about the father-son softball game. And he's like, oh, my, you know, dads are the worst at those things. They always end up like injuring themselves or something, which kind of comes into play later. So I did think that was funny. Yeah, good mentioning that because it will definitely come into play later. And that wraps up the lunch scene. So we jump now to the house. And this is just a really quick scene and it's really only here to get the kids, uh, Corey and Eric, to admit to their mom that, that they don't really want to play in the softball game, that they are too grown up for that. They've got their own plans for the weekend and they can't be bothered for a couple hours. And mom, for what it's worth, really stands her ground and says, if you want to wiggle out of this, you got to do it yourself. I'm not helping. Well, yeah. So they come home and they see their dad playing by himself in the backyard, like with his glove. And so obviously he's very excited about this, like between how excited he was this morning before school and now he's like out back warming up his arm and they're just like 
being so mopey that they don't want to do this game and they tell their mom and she is laying on the guilt really thick, but it is not getting through to them. I mean, she's basically telling them, your dad is really excited about this. Why don't you just like be nice and not disappoint him? And they are not getting it at all. Yeah. And I just put this together, but like, this is still the first season. So one of the episodes that we know Corey from, he is trying to do anything he can to spend time with his dad and his dad keeps on getting pulled away to the grocery store. And then in a later episode, his grandma comes and he gets really excited because they've got these plans and then she breaks plans. So the two things that he's been excited about earlier in this season, he hasn't learned his lesson from either of those things because he's he's the one being the dummy in this. And I was watching this with Arthur and he was like, what is going on in this episode? Like, Corey loves baseball. Why wouldn't he want to go play with his dad in a game? And I was like, yeah, it really does not make any sense. Maybe it's because of that bitter December cold air and he doesn't want to be outside in December playing softball. I don't know, but like it's it's pretty lame. Yeah. Like just just go play softball with your dad. What is this going to take? Like a couple hours? Exactly. A couple hours. It, you know it's something you would have fun doing. So the, I get Eric being a little bit older and not wanting to do it anymore, but I don't know if I buy Corey as much. And you know your dad's like taking you out for pizza after that or something. Like that's just, to yeah. me that sounds like a lovely day. Well, they come up with a plan that only one person needs to go and they're trying to figure out how to wiggle out of this. But before they can decide who is the one person, because it's the father-son game, not the father-son's game, uh, they come up with ways to blackmail each other into making the other one go. And then they come sprinting down the stairs to try to plead their case to the dad first. Yeah, so Eric is just sort of honest with him and is like, well, he starts out being honest and then he starts lying, but he's like, I have a date with Vicky tomorrow. And then he's like, but we have to study and we have a project and this and that. And Corey, <laughs> Corey's excuse is that his left leg needs to be tested for radon <laughs> because he's 11 and his dad knows he doesn't have any plans because he can't possibly have plans without his parents like taking him somewhere. Yeah. Alan picks up on what's happening here pretty quickly and pivots from being excited to making up the lie that the game was actually canceled and that there's no game so that the boys can kind of go do what they want to at this point. Yeah, but plot twist. Monday in school, as Corey is talking about his amazing weekend of doing nothing, Topanga comes up and asks him why he wasn't at the father-son game on Saturday. Yeah, Topanga was there, and she even played, even though she's not a father nor a son, but we... We can exclude that and be more inclusive that it was maybe just a an employee and child game that doesn't have quite the same ring to it. But not only was Topanga there, but the grocery store team got crushed 18 to 3. And she said, we are creaming you until your dad's assistant manager had to be taken away in an ambulance, to which Sean says... There's always an ambulance, um, <laughs> which was funny. But uh, it is kind of funny, like these uh, middle-aged guys who haven't worked out in forever trying to keep up with a bunch of kids. Like, I imagine that someone does get injured every year. Yeah, that's definitely true. 
But Lenny apparently blew out his shoulder or his elbow or something trying to make a, a throw. Yeah, classic. So the cat's out of the bag. Corey knows. Yep, exactly. And Amy kind of comes clean about it all and says, you know, he will get over it. And hopefully you learned your lesson. And Corey's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I really learned my lesson. She says, then, then you get over it too. Like, time to move on. Yeah, and Eric is sitting there going, my God, like, he knew that we didn't want to play in the game, so he lied and told us it was canceled. It's like the gift of the Magi, except we didn't get him anything. Did that reference land for you? Yeah. You don't know the gift of the Magi? Uh, I had to be refreshed about the the main story there and the twist ending, but it, it came back to me. It's an O. Henry classic in which a poor couple is trying to buy each other Christmas presents. So the wife sells her hair to buy her husband a chain for his pocket watch only to discover that the husband sold his pocket watch to buy his wife combs for her hair so they now have two completely useless gifts but they've learned that they love each other so much that they would sell their prized possessions just to make the other one happy yeah very well summarized teachers love O. Henry stories because it because uh, of irony because irony is very hard to define so they're just like well, just read this story that's what irony is good yeah that's fair all right so the the boys are feeling bad they they realize what they've done was shitty and they want to try to make it up to their dad so enter the hero Lenny Spinelli so really they feel bad and they go to their dad and they apologize and they tell him we acted like jerks and we're so sorry and we would really like to spend time with you. And the episode's over. Just kidding. They try some elaborate scheme <laughs> to like get back in their dad's good graces, which really all they're doing is trying to make themselves feel better. So they call up old Lenny to bring them over some supplies for a cookout. Lenny really weasels his way into the boys' night out in the, in the backyard on the grill. Everyone's out there. They're having a good time. I mean, no one's not having a good time. It's a nice family bonding time. Plus Lenny, they're grilling, they're being men, they're making fun of salads. So everything's going pretty well, but just not going quite as well as the boys hope. And Lenny is as annoying as ever. Yeah. Thank goodness we do not see him. This is the last time we will see his character. So another one bites the dust. Good. Goodbye, Lenny. Good riddance. But yeah, so they, Corey's like, Eric, may I see you inside? Uh, meanwhile, they have Alan working the grill, so they're not even cooking dinner for Alan after they just ditched him. He's cooking his own dinner. And Corey's like, this sucks. Like, it's not working. And Eric is having this realization. He's like, no, 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 it's great. We we gave him dinner. And then he's like, which he gives us every single day of our lives. Yeah. Like, And it's dawning on him that, like, maybe this wasn't the best idea and maybe they should have just manned up. And even though they didn't want to spend their Saturday playing the game, done it anyway because it was important to their dad. Yeah, exactly. So they, they come to this realization. But before we can kind of tie this out with Alan and the family, we go back to learn a quick little lesson in the classroom. So Corey's taken all of this that he's learned from this experience. And now he's applying it to the debate that they had in the classroom about the Pledge of Allegiance. And Corey says now... I, I still believe the same thing. I still believe that tradition and 
that this allegiance is important, but here's why. And and he goes into a, another good speech here at the end about respecting traditions and showing allegiance to those things that you care about. And Mr. Feeney says, even to a teacher? And then Corey leaves the classroom and then comes back in and goes, even a teacher. And then that meaningful moment sax music plays as Corey exits. It was cheesy, but it still got me, actually. Anyway, we go back into the living room and the boys come down and they confront Alan with the facts that, you know, it's really Alan's fault because he's the one that broke the tradition. The boys say they don't want to go. Alan forces them to go. That's the way the tradition has always been. Yeah. So instead of being thankful that they have parents who care about them they would prefer parents who drag them places against their will and start fights so you know this alan he just can't win but they come up with the idea to challenge the bookstore to another game and to have a rematch and it turns out that everyone from both organizations both the bookstore and the grocery store even though it's going to be on a saturday the busiest day for both of those stores most likely that they've all got time to have another game the next weekend can you imagine the logistics of planning a father-son or even just like an employee softball game with two different businesses in one week's time? I mean, you got to reserve a field. You got to do all this communication. You got to get people to sign up. Like, there's no way. No, there's no way, but it rounds out the episode nicely, so. So they're going to challenge him to another game. They make some very unfavorable comments about the people at the rainbow unicorn bookstore again they call them like veg heads and crystal packers and all this weird stuff yep exactly but alan agrees and he's in good spirits and that brings us to our post credit scene where the matthews crew comes bursting through the door everyone is excited they get their win they get their revenge on those veggie eating book loving losers yeah i mean the bookstore crushed them in the last game, and now they have reigned victorious. So I guess Corey and Eric and Alan were just such uh, star players that it really turned the whole thing around. Yeah, they went from getting crushed 18-3 to 3 to crushing them just with the addition of seemingly three people. So the Matthews crew is really strong at softball. And they're down Lenny because he's got that blown out elbow or whatever honestly maybe that's what it was is no lenny and (laughs) lenny just committing unforced errors (laughs) 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 so alan's limping which ties back into the injury thing that that sean had been talking about all episode and he you know doesn't look thrilled to be playing in a third winner take all game the next week but he had slid into home and, and injured himself in the game but everyone everyone had a great time Happy times. He's limping in there, uh, looking pained as his sons tell them the bookstore wants to go best best two out of three. So Now, I've had three instances, after never really noticing this before, I've had three instances of baseball or softball players wearing jeans during the game. This, to me, is unheard of and a cardinal sin of playing sports how in the world could you ever do what you need to in jeans but i've got three examples of this in the last like two weeks of my watching tv alan is wearing jeans when they come busting in so there's number one 
Number two, Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza playing in the softball game against the cast of Rochelle Rochelle the Musical. They're both wearing (laughs) jeans. And in Rookie of the Year, Henry in the end scene when he's playing Little League is also wearing jeans. What is up with these people wearing jeans playing softball? Do people do that in real life? I have played softball a long time now. And I've never seen anyone wear jeans. I've seen somebody wear like khaki kind of pants from like their, you know, like more hiking-y kind of pants because they, maybe that's all they had or whatever it was, but I've never ever seen anyone wear jeans. I mean, I can tell you that I can't run, squat, or do anything in jeans other than like sit or stand. Those are the two options. Exactly. Now, the Seinfeld episode was from this time. It was like the early 90s, as was Rookie of the Year as was this episode. So maybe it was like an early 90s things before baseball pants became mass produced. I don't know what it is, but it it bothered me all three times I saw it. Well, you don't need baseball pants, do you? No. You just need like athletic. Literally anything. Well, Alan's sliding. So I guess he did need something rugged. You can't slide into home in shorts. You can tear, tear yourself up. Number one, you should not be wearing jeans. Number two, you should not be sliding into home in a father son (laughs) recreational softball game no you should not be sliding at all after age 40 after after age 30 i'm gonna say (laughs) yeah i've really limited my sliding in softball to absolutely necessary times because that's that's a good way to blow out a knee yeah for sure all right so we've made it the episode wraps up number 11 in the books we get again a lot of baseball softball talk we don't get much Feeny, but we get a good family bonding moment here and uh, all is well in the Matthews household as we exit. That wraps it up for this episode of the Feeny podcast. Please look forward to episodes. They drop every Monday and every Friday. You can follow us at Feeny podcast on Instagram, Facebook. That's it. <laughs> Listen to us on any platform that podcasts are found spotify seems to be the one that gets the episodes the fastest but listen wherever you're most comfortable listening call us in leave us a message tell us about wearing jeans while playing sports or about your best father-son softball game basketball game moments anything relevant we'd love to hear from you uh jacqueline anything to add that's all thank you guys so much it's been great spending some time with you always is talk to you all soon bye